Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Thursday, May 18th. I'm Shelby Herbert. The Mitkoff Mummers are set to debut their annual Mayfest play at the end of the week. That is tonight. It's one of many public art events held for the Little Norway Festival in Petersburg. But in place of marauding Vikings, the show features marauding pirates. Here's a backstage report with the Mummers, who talk about their favorite jokes, best production moments, and pre-show butterflies. What do you do with a lovesick pirate? Hi, what do you do with a lovesick pirate? 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 You're lying the it's two days before the debut of Blackbeard's Lost Loot, and cast member Ryan Mumby says the vibe is electric. It's been great, but the anxiety levels now are through the roof. It's a good anxiety, though. It's not a bad anxiety. We're all excited. Mumby plays the romantic lead, a gender-bending pirate named Swink. It's his second play with the Mummers, and he says the people are the reason he decided to put himself through that anxiety a second time. Everyone leaves their ego outside, and you come in here and you pick up a script, and you, know, and you, and you just play that part. And I think to me that's really intriguing, but also they're just a great group of people. Tiffany Glass is the show's director. She says that part of the rush comes from the wide variety of people who came aboard this spring. But, she says, scheduling around everybody's day jobs has been difficult. Glass herself works in admin support for Petersburg's Ranger District. Um, you know, even myself, I work 40 hours a week. Uh, well, actually, even more than that, some weeks. And to find the time to dedicate, you know, four nights a week for a few hours a night, it gets to be a little much and it gets to be a little tiring. But what's amazing is, is how well it always comes together in the end. But Glass says the real life roles her cast members serve in the community makes collaboration more fun. Some of the pirates actually have nautical jobs, like Garrett Kravitz, who plays Black Boot. He's serving in the U.S. Coast Guard on active duty. We're going to this party, see? But we're not going to be took by surprise. Sally? Aye. We're going to a battle. 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 Keep your eyes peeled for trouble. 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 Take no prisoners. Traditionally, the Mayfest play is about canneries or fishing. But this year, the Mummers went with a pirate theme. Glass says it's close enough. First of all, pirates. I mean, I guess you could say they're similar to Vikings. They both pillage and plunder, and they both yell randomly, Arr! or whatever it is that they feel they want to yell. It's, <laughs> nautical. <yeah. laughs> it's nautical. The pirates are decked out in extra tough boots and as is tradition with the Mummers, make jokes at the expense of Wrangell, Petersburg's neighboring island and high school sports rival. The premise of Black Boots' lost loot is fairly straightforward. Two rival pirate crews set out in search for treasure, while a group of bumbling ornithologists search for a rare bird. Hijinks ensue, and an intrepid journalist, played by Tatum Hagerman, tags along to document them. Okay, so my character's name is Rosie Redshoe, and she's a reporter for the World Bird magazine. But yeah, she's basically recording all of the shenanigans along the way in her little notebook, so it's very fun. (laughs) 
The play runs almost an hour long, but Glass says it's worth the audience's time. When I've been listening to this play for the last two months, and I don't always laugh when it's a really funny part because I'm expecting it and I know it's coming. So we're really excited to have people in the audience to react and for us to play off of because, I mean, I, I can't, I'm not going to give it away, but there's going to be some things that people are going to be a little surprised by that are going to make them laugh. But Glass says there are still some moments that have brought down her cast and herself with the giggles in the middle of practice. There's one scene in particular, which involves a stuffed duck prop. We were trying to figure out how to play the scene out, and randomly one practice, we just kind of, <laughs> well, without giving it away, we um, kind of just threw something out there as a, like, oh, this is funny, do it this way. And uh, <laughs> one of our actors... He starts laughing hysterically because it was it was quite it was unexpected. And of course, once he starts, nobody can. I mean, he, he couldn't stop. And then everybody else is laughing. And it took us probably a good 10 minutes to recover from that. I mean, we were all just dying without revealing too much. Cast members tried to sum up Black Boots lost loot in three words. Silly pirate fun. Let's go with fun pirate party. <laughs> Hilarious. Rowdy and fun. Um, I would say it's funny, sort of original. That's like nine words, man. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Glass encourages all who are game for a good laugh and curious about what had the crew in stitches over the stuffed duck to check out the show. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Blackbeard's Lost Loot. Black Boots Lost Loot opens tonight and runs until Saturday, May 20th at the Wright Auditorium. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. and the show starts at 7. Tickets are available at Blomsterhoos and at the door. Bering Sea Pollock fishermen have almost met their season quota. Since the A-season fishery opened in late July, nearly 100 vessels have caught about 1.2 billion pounds of Alaska pollock. That leaves about 43 million pounds still available to catch, according to Krista Milani. She's a federal fisheries specialist with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in Unalaska. Milani says this A-season quota is back on par with recent years after a decrease last season. According to NOAA, fishery managers were dealing with data gaps stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic. And a population survey also came back lower than expected. This A-season ends June 10th, the same day B-season starts. Milani says that means some Pollock fishermen could be finishing up their A-season quotas while starting their B-quotas on the same trip. B-season quotas are already set and are up from last year. The season runs through November 1st. Between all the different sectors, including shoreside and catcher processors, the amount totals 1.5 billion pounds of Pollock. Alaska's Pollock fishery is among the world's most valuable fisheries. Noah says about a quarter of the catch goes to making surimi, which is used in imitation crab. Wind chimes made out of sea glass, a chess set made out of table legs, and tiny knitted birds in Viking hats. These are just some of the art pieces now on display at Petersburg's Clausen Memorial Museum. Here's a report 
from the museum as the exhibit was being prepared from the for the Little Norway Festival Art Show, which showcases artwork from community members. The back room of the Clausen Memorial Museum is packed with paintings and lovingly crafted objects to be shown to the hundreds of Little Norway festival goers set to pack the streets of Petersburg. Cindy Lagadakis, the museum's director, painstakingly logged all of the pieces local artists handed over. Lagadakis enjoys sorting through the many painting and photography submissions. But, she says, it's also fun to see the three-dimensional art that people around town came up with. Jean Curry brought in some items I haven't even completely gotten to look at, but she makes wind chimes, and this one's made out of a, a fishing float. And then she's put a little, uh, looks like a little shell Nautilus design on that, and it's really pretty. Some of the submissions are a nod to the generations of Norwegian fishing families who emigrated to Petersburg around the turn of the century. Like Robin um, Roberts came in with this, and it sounds like she just makes them occasionally. It's a little knitted bird, and it's it's kind of uh, in Norwegian theme. So he's got a Viking hat on it, and it's a Norwegian or Scandinavian, almost looks like a sweater pattern. The art show's participants are as diverse as the mediums they work in. Lagadakis points out a detailed landscape painting of a waterfall. This one was made apparently by a young person. I think they, I think she said she was nine, Lily Ellis. It looks like the water is moving in the piece when you look at it. Maybe even a little um, northern lights effect there with the, the pink on the horizon and you can see the stars in the sky, but it's very pretty. One of the standouts is made from someone who has never shown her art at all. Hoopy Davidson is a retired school bus driver. She brought a series of embroidery samplers, which depict Alaskan wildlife, a Canada goose, and a puffin. She gave a tiny demonstration of her technique, called Russian embroidery. And I'll punch it through, and it comes out like that. So you've got a hoop on the top. Come on. And you pull it up so it stays just like that. See, okay, I'll punch down here, like that, and I'm just punching. I'm punching my design. And so this is what a Russian inverter is like. So you sit there and you, you've got a design. Davidson says she's fortunate to have learned Russian embroidery from a group of women she calls the real deal, a small Ukrainian sewing circle she joined when she lived in Kasselov on the Kenai Peninsula. A friend of mine, her and I went to take their classes, and they refused to speak English, and but they but they did know. Oh, that's not right. They knew that because you know, oh, they'd pull out my thread and you redo it. But Davidson says her persistence paid off, just like it did when she started working on her chess set, which she's had in the works for nearly forty years. As a child, Davidson says she pined for a big chess set. In high school, she took a class to learn how to actually play the game. In adulthood, Davidson wanted to work as a flight attendant for a German airline, so she moved to Germany for language classes. There, she drew inspiration from the design of Teutonic castles, as well as a more contemporary German tradition of repurposing table legs for woodworking crafts. All of her chess pieces are made from the hand-carved and painted legs of tables and a piano. It took her almost four decades to complete the set. 
Uh, throughout my 37 years, I've had uh, deaths in the family. Mm. I've had, um, you know, raising kids. I also started driving school bus at that time. And I didn't feel like working on my chest when I got home. So that's kind of what took place on why I couldn't finish it within a year or, you know, two or Certainly, later. just 37 years. happening. Oh, a lot of things. And, and I still had hope that I was going to get this done. <laughs> The exhibit will mark the very first time Davidson has ever shown off her artwork. She says that she's one of many artists in Petersburg who are reluctant to put their pieces out there, and that the event is a place where the community can come together and take that creative leap. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. The Little Norway Festival Art Show will be on display at the Clausen Memorial Museum until May 20th. Alaska's death rate from traumatic brain injuries, or TBIs, is the highest in the nation. That's according to a recent report from the Alaska Health Department. Dr. Catherine Newell is an epidemiologist for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, assigned to Alaska. She put together the report. The fact that one in four deaths in Alaskans aged under 30 was related to a TBI is a shocking statistic as so many of these deaths are preventable. Traumatic brain injuries range from a mild bump on the head to a deadly punctured skull. The report looked at rates of emergency visits, hospitalization, and death for TBIs over five years, ending in 2021. Suicides and accidental falls caused the most TBI deaths in Alaska. And Newell says there was a lot of variation by age group. For old adults aged over 85 years, 72% of TBI-related deaths were due to unintentional falls, whereas in younger adults, the largest proportion of deaths were due to suicide. According to the report, Alaska Native and American Indian people were disproportionately likely to have serious or deadly brain injuries. Vehicle crashes seriously injured or killed the most young adults. And for people in northern Alaska, ATV and snow machine accidents were likely to cause serious head injuries. Over 40% of the deaths due to traumatic brain injury were suicide by firearms. Newell says prevention is the only real cure for traumatic brain injuries. Because the causes of TBIs vary so much, she suggests a wide variety of ways to prevent injuries. A good strategy is to think about how we are supporting our older community and our elders to prevent slips and falls, especially in the winter months. The report mentions existing community programs that give ice cleats to elders. Others suggested intervention, other suggested interventions include firearm safety education, healthcare screenings for elders, and free helmet giveaways. The report also found many people had trouble getting care after they experienced the traumatic brain injury, usually due to cost or geography. <laughs> 